This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Working Title, the podcast. I am excited about this conversation. I feel like I'm excited about pretty much every conversation that I get to have, basically because just like talking to myself isn't quite as entertaining as talking to really amazing people. Today's guest is yet another guest that I discovered where on Clubhouse. I'm telling you, if you're not already on Clubhouse, I strongly encourage you to at least just check it out. A lot of people have opinions, ideas, and other expectations about the app. I have had no complaints. I have had great conversations and have even gotten a chance to listen in on some amazing conversations led by amazing speakers from pretty much every field of study, genre, profession, etc. One of those amazing speakers is today's guest. His name is Brandon Scott, and he's from the DMV. For those who don't know, that's the the DC, Maryland, Virginia region. And I was in a couple of clubhouse rooms that he was hosting and had been invited to come up on the stage and share some of my insights. And he just struck me as the type of person that I wanted to be able to have an additional conversation with. He's a fitness expert and founder of the wellness lifestyle brand known as Dojo DC. He is a father, he's an amazing human being, and I'm so glad to share today's conversation with you. So sit back, get comfortable, take a couple of long, deep cleansing breaths, and get ready for another conversation. Hello. Hello there. Let me get my, let me oh, get my yeah. Take you know, the ever-important angles. The ever-important angles. angles. Trust me. I know. I, <laughs> I, get it. I get it. I love the view. Let me just start oh, thank you. with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that I was going to be talking to a fellow sneakerhead today. So yeah, yeah. That's... The, the, what's more incredible is 90, well, most of this wall is actually just my girlfriend's shoes. <laughs> my shoes are like. My shoes are at the bottom somewhere and mostly still stacked in boxes on the side. She gets I the pretty love it. presentation of I it love all. It. But yes, I love it. shoe family. <laughs> I love it. No, my partner and I are definitely sneakerheads. I say that I'm like um, a bit of a retired sneakerhead, mainly because, I know that means. you know, there was a time in my life where I dedicated a lot of my time, energy, and money towards acquiring sneakers. And then a third part. there was, you know, and then there was like a moment where I said, I think I want to like own a home someday. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I should scale back. I know. Just Trust a little me, bit. It's so difficult. I literally just came from the mall getting my daughter some, some more clothes and sneakers because now she's quick to call. Those are Jordans, Daddy. Those aren't Jordans. Yes. Don't wear those. Don't wear... I'm like, oh my gosh. They it's call you fault. out, don't they? Yeah, they call you out. They have a way of kids have a way of keeping you honest. And sometimes you're like, why did I ever teach you this thing? <laughs> no, seriously. Like that's exactly how I feel. I'm I'm so happy she's so smart. And then there are days when I'm regretting oh. making her so smart so oh, right. quickly. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Five year old logic shouldn't be good enough to get you out of these situations it does. But it I'm really impressed. you know, it really shouldn't. But um but no, well welcome. Yeah, take your time. Take your time. Go ahead and get settled. Get settled. It's in. weird because like, you know, I do my little show thing, but now I'm on this side. All right, yeah. there we go. Cool. Yeah. I'm no. on vibrator. Okay, cool. So um so welcome to your podcast you. recording session. And um 
you know, I'm, I'm excited because this is actually my first day back. I took like a 10 day sabbatical from work. And so I'm, okay. you know, away for Congrats. a couple of days. Thank you. It was, it was so needed, so necessary. And I think I set myself up pretty nicely because this is my first like work thing Ooh, of, nice. after my I'm vacation. So I'm like, oh yeah, flattered. podcast, fun. So, um, right. So thank you for that. So before we uh -huh. get started, you know, this is meant to feel very much just like a very casual conversation. I know you've done some podcasting before, so you kind of get the vibe. My my hope is for anything that, you know, is shared today from your story, from your experience, will just serve to really inspire and empower my audience and my listeners. The nice. audio version of this podcast will end up on a couple of different streaming platforms like Apple Music and Spotify, and then the video will be only available to my subscribers. So I have a, nice. a paid platform that's coming out later this month, and so they'll get to kind of have more of a, a virtual interaction. Like so that'll be like pretty dope. So I'm going to just ask you a couple of questions, and then I'm also just going to give you the space to take up as much or as little as you like <laughs> with your answers. Oh, I man. love people who talk. <laughs> I love talking to people who love to talk. Thank you. Good for you. Good listen, for us. Who wants, who wants to listen to a podcast with like crickets in the background? Like, <laughs> hey man, but uh, good for us. I, I was so happy when Clubhouse came out. Like literally without having to say a word, all of our friends were like, I know you like it. Yeah. And they're like, why? Like, you talk. You talk. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. Yes. They used to be my thing as a kid. Everyone used to say when you talk too much, I used to just tell people they talk too little. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, perspective. I was like, maybe you don't talk enough. No, okay. that was me. <laughs> like, I would get, like, on my progress reports, my teachers would always say, she's so smart. She's so bright. She just talks a lot. She likes to talk, and who knew uh, that was one of my special gifts? I know. That's your thing. It, sh it should be that way. Why not, right? Exactly. Like, I don't see why not. Like, it might as well. Okay. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to give you the give you the floor, give you the mic, and just start by introducing yourself and telling us where you're from and what you okay. stand for. Okay. Cool. Um, my name is Brandon Scott. I uh, am coming out of the DMV, the D.C. area, for those not really familiar. Um I am a personal trainer slash mindset coach slash just talker slash inspirer of friends um, slash somehow networking guru. Um, I mainly deal with, you know, CEOs, executives and high level professionals. Um, and it's morphed more out of the personal training arena into the whole mental and physical approach. I originally went to school for mechanical engineering had very little idea I would ever end up in the physical fitness world because I hated working out. I still don't really love it. But uh, I ended up at Ohio State where everyone's a super athlete. And as I got hooked up with some guys on a football team and we just hung out and I worked out with the team a little bit, um, put on a huge amount of muscle, and then I discovered that I was body dysmorphic um, because everyone was telling me how much better I looked and all this other stuff, but I literally just could not see it at all. Like When I looked in the mirror, I still saw like a small dude. Um, ironically... That came from being in high school and being body dysmorphic in the other direction, where I consider myself larger and bigger than life because that's the only way I could play football mm -hmm. um, because I still didn't love the gym then. Um, but a lot of that had to do with the approach and the way it was, was presented to us as, as teens and as kids about, you know, if you want to play football, there's a certain mindset and certain kind of physique and all this other stuff. Um, and I think I was a little too fascinated with not having to fit that, but being able to like accompany, I mean, encompass that mentally. Um, so when I got to school and I actually had the approach of deciding to get into fitness my own way, which is much more mechanical in nature for my engineering background, mm -hmm. um, it inspired me to change my major into kinesiology, which is kind of biomechanics, you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, and I was already a little bit of a nerdy kid anyway, and I was always fascinated by psychology. So I was like, how could I figure out how to do the workout thing without it having to like matter to my brain too much because I still dislike showing up to the gym so much but I gotta do it like it's so important and the benefits are crazy if you just did it in a more comfortable way and then I set out to change the world by allowing people to get to that end their own way rather than the way it's shown I love that I love that I like you also hated working out I I can say I don't hate it anymore however mm -hmm. it's not something that I look forward to doing you know um <laughs> My dad is a, you know, football and track coach and has been coaching football and track since we were kids. And, you know, I'm the oldest of five siblings and my dad had four girls before he had a boy. 
And so Mm. I, you know, he put us in every sport, basketball, soccer, softball, track, everything. And I would say I can probably speak confidently for myself and all three of my sisters. None of us liked playing sports, (laughs) except he (laughs) was like, this is something to keep you active. This is something to keep you busy, you know, and, you know, get outside and make friends and team building and all that kind of stuff. And the only sport that I really was drawn to was cheerleading, which at the time wasn't really considered a sport, but we competed Mm -hmm. and did the whole thing. Cheerleading didn't feel like a workout because even though we were being active and we're lifting weights and running and, you know, jumping and flipping and doing all this kind of stuff, it felt like fun. It was like, okay, this is fun. Then when I became an adult and it was like, oh, my, my body's changing. I'm maturing. I'm not 17, 16, 15 anymore. Now I have a woman's body and my form looks different. Now I have to go where to the gym and how long do I have to be there and how many sit-ups do I have to do? No, no, thank you. (laughs) I'm not interested, you know, and that's how I kind of migrated into yoga as my, my chosen form of exercise because of the, the spirituality and the mind body, you know, spirit elements that are worked into yoga, that it became less about the look and more about how it made me feel, you know, less about, Mm -hmm. Oh, can I stand on my head or can I balance on my left pinky toe or something? It was more like Mm -hmm. I feel better. And I learned how to breathe because Um, something a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm asthmatic and have been since I was two years old. And so breathing was always a challenge for me. I carry an inhaler. I still carry an inhaler everywhere I go. But then when I started practicing yoga, I learned how to breathe. You know, something that you don't think of. It's interesting. (laughs) No, no, you're right. I only only stopped you because I used to think I had asthma. So as a teenager, when I was playing sports, I played sports because they were fun. Right. It didn't have to be go to the gym and challenge myself and all this stuff. I can just get on the field. And I was always able to compete at a high level without having to do the physical practice stuff. Mm Because at a certain point, talent and just like mental ability kind of will put you at the edge when you're a kid. So it was as I got older and I realized I had to go to the gym. I was like, "Ah, (laughs) I don't want to do all that. But it's funny. But part of my thing was I used to think I had asthma. I used to wholeheartedly tell my coach I had asthma. And he'd be like, Brandon, you get a physical every year. You don't have asthma. Like... You just suck at breathing. But he couldn't teach me how to do it better. So I was frustrated by that. Um, But yeah, once I learned how to breathe better, I was like, light bulb. Oh my gosh, I have to teach everybody else how to do this. Yes, it changes the game. It changes the game. So tell me a little bit more about the the coaching and the services that you offer and kind of how you transitioned into into doing that. Yeah. So um, like I said, I I switched into kinesiology Mm -hmm. and um, I won't won't say this, but they don't exist anymore. But when I first started... I, I'm a big learner by doing. That's why I like engineering. I like the idea of building. I like the idea of testing theories and the scientific method is kind of what I live by. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I got into that and working with my own body and seeing how I can adjust based off of, you know, different sort of programming and nutrition and things like that, mm-hmm. I just kind of became obsessed with how having to do that and realizing that, you know, if you did those things correctly and you put together those pieces as far as the equation for your body and your health go, mm-hmm. you'll always get the right answer. It's right. just really hard to figure out what your specific equation is. You have to find all of the factors to plug in. Um, and I found out that was like the biggest problem for most people is mm-hmm. they weren't getting enough information that was specialized because the fitness industry in, in with any industry, you want it to be generalized. It's how marketing works. Right. But I was like, I get it. If you were to tell every single person in reality, I need to find out how you move, find out how you sleep. What are the things you like? What do you don't like? What's your time schedule like, right? Like, what are you mechanically good? Most people run away once you give them that much information. Right. But that's exactly the information that gets them the best result and starting to learn them and learn who they are and all these other parts that go into it. So what I started doing was working as a trainer while I was in school. Mm. I wasn't certified yet, but they, because of like my knowledge base and I was already in a kinesiology program and, you know, I was able to demonstrate that I knew everything. Mm-hmm. They were allowing me to train. So I started training while I was in school. Okay. Um, and because of that, I was able to evolve my way of thinking. I'm the kid who's always going to take the information and then try it my own way. Yes. Like, I won't take it face value. So as they were teaching me stuff about psychology, I was like, oh, now I can apply this. What if I started telling people, like, changing the perspective of what they're looking at in the gym? Right. I don't like going to the gym, but I get it done because I figure out how to frame my mind around the obstacle in a way that makes it, you know, something I can overcome right. um, and make it more important than trying to run away from it. So as I moved up and moved into different worlds, into uh, like corporate fitness, I worked for a company that was contracted for the Department of Energy mm. and their gym had been in the red for like a couple years. 
And I showed up there and in like four months, we got them back positive, right? Wow. And it was because I changed people's mindset about showing up to the gym. The gym was the same one that existed in the building all the time. Because you change the way they feel about showing up, change mm-hmm. the way they talk about it. They look at it as a break from work, not a, oh, I got to go to the gym. Right. And I was able to make an impact with those people. Um, and I became a lot more obsessed with the way I was transforming people from a mental level mm-hmm. and just kept raising through the ranks, left that company after a little while, went to work for Equinox. Um, now, Equinox is like, there's no other way to put it but the bougie gym. The bougie I mean, gym. You know, it's, most it of the celebrities, it yeah, it's, it's like where the celebrities go. It's where the you know, yeah. high-level athletes, professionals. And because of that, I've been able to network with some extremely influential people. Mm. A few big CEOs, political officials, athletes, all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that level and everyone's really good at the fitness aspect, right. you start to then separate, like, what is it that makes one trainer better than another? What is it that makes the message not get across to some people and get across to other people. And I started really analyzing that because that location was like top five mm. for like five years straight. Like we were crushing it. It was crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, I think like 12% of the top 100 trainers in the entire company, which is like worldwide, were all in this one gym. Wow. So it's like I had to learn really, really quickly. And I had to learn like how do I make my information stand out from other people's? Mm-hmm. And what I realized again is it comes down to the people. People aren't showing up to Equinox for the gym anymore. They're showing up to the trainer that they're paying all the money to gym to house that trainer. And as I spent my time working on my delivery, like the technical side is always gonna be there. I'm a nerd by heart, so I couldn't help it. I decided that I was gonna start focusing more on their perception of the movements. They didn't need to worry about, you know, the equations Mm -hmm. and the way they program. As long as I had that mathematics right, the next step was really working on how people perceive what they're doing because their attitude towards the workout changes everything that comes out of it. And then we started realizing that there was parallels between that and the rest of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. If this person's like the president of this huge foundation and they're mm-hmm. nervous about what decisions they're gonna make, I can tell them like, hey, you know the way I told you to get over the deadlift where like the obstacle is absolute, yeah. but it's about how you feel about it? Yeah. Apply that, right? Like it's difficult. You're not gonna be able to do anything about how difficult it is. What you can do is say, what if I don't focus on how heavy it is and I just focus on how hard I work to get it done? What if I don't focus on how heavy it is and I just focus on the mechanics and make sure my planning, my execution is perfect. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just get the outcome. But we generally measure our effort level by our perceived ability to overcome it. And like without that, I was like, look, it's the exact same thing in and out of the gym. And, you know, they would start coming back with stories about how these things were making sense. and And I was like, this is actually something that matters in every facet of life. But I was just using the gym to get it done. Because it then doubled as something that kept me going. Because like I said, I yeah. don't like the pain of working out. <laughs> like you said, my problem with wanting to show up is I know what I'm capable of physically. And I know right. every time I go to the gym, I'm going to do something really difficult. <laughs> so I'm every like, time, right? All right here, yeah, here I go. Now I have to go and kill myself in 45 minutes. But in the process, I'm paying attention to all the neurological signs and all mm. the neurological adaptations and paying attention to how my brain compartmentalizes one task versus the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm really listening to my unconscious mind a lot more than most people because, again, I dislike the physical part so much. <laughs> that's the part that's going to get me over the edge. Right. And when it comes to the physical world, it's one of the few places where your abilities are going to be really far beyond your conscious like mm. attention to them, right? Like right. athletes who test their limits know what it feels like when they're hurt versus when they're just really uncomfortable and getting towards their upper limit. Right. Normal people, the first level of resistance they feel, like the brain is going to tell you to run the other direction. So it's going to amplify how much it hurts, right? But it doesn't mean you're going to die. And I learned that, you know, if we get through that part of the gym, Mm -hmm. that's where people start getting results. Right. Um, So I was like, you know, we're just going to keep homing down on that. And I've built like relationships with some incredible people um, and I've had them as clients for years and, you know, that word of mouth and that strong connection has kept it going forever. That's real. And luckily I was asked to leave Equinox and start my own thing. So, you know what? It's so funny that you say like, luckily I was asked to leave because when I hear people say that it's always interesting when someone transitions from working, especially for a large corporation, like Equinox, a, glo- a global corporation, I used to work for Apple. And so mm. leaving Apple and starting something of my own was something that I wasn't, when I started with Apple, I obviously wasn't planning on leaving right away. And even when I left, I didn't know that it was going to happen that way. I just knew that Mm -hmm. I had opportunities, kind of like you said, I had opportunities to kind of start working with people in a really individual way. And I had a chance to integrate some of the, the methodologies and the systems that I learned from working with Apple with my own 
things that I was acquiring through yoga teacher training and was able to integrate those together into a really unique style of business development and personal development coaching. And so it was bringing those things. It's like bringing together the spirituality and mind, body, spirit of yoga, and also bringing together the innovative and forward thinking methods of Apple and bringing those two things together to create a holistic style of business coaching and business consulting. And so when you know when you're asked to leave a big company like Equinox where you've built these relationships and you kind of you kind of got a chance to test out your methods and then you start your own thing it's kind of like would i have left if i wasn't asked to leave would i have stayed longer exactly. what would yeah. that have looked like you know what i mean yeah 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 that was part of the process of me uh and i would say literally i would call it like a random awakening mm. but like the universe does you a favor and the honest, the honest and hilarious answer I usually give people when I have these conversations, um, because usually it's older people I'm having conversations with and are always like, how do you figure this out without having been on this earth for a whole lot of time? Right. And I told them, like, what I learned is if you really pay attention to what's going on without a lens of judgment, you get the truth. Yep. And that's that's how easily lessons are taught to us every single day in every possible way. It's just how well we recognize them. Yeah. And one day... Things at home were just crazy. We're just stressed. I had a, a new new little girl. Mm. Um, my daughter's five and she's amazing. But when she was really young, you know, like I had the flexibility in my schedule, right. but my schedule was insane. I was like showing up for work at 5 a.m., leaving by 10, taking care of her all day, mm-hmm. bring her back to work with me by four. Her mom would pick her up by six. Like I had these crazy schedules, yeah. but I was obsessed with being a super dad. But it puts a stress on your life. Um, and, you know, I was just literally at some point like this doesn't make sense. Like it, 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 my level of stress in my life. I'm over here helping people out, but I can't help myself. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I got to figure this out. I was just working through my stress through working out, which was cool, but it wasn't fixing my mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't like the way the work was going. I didn't feel like, you know, I was valued amongst coworkers and clients, but I didn't feel like, anyway, one of the story. Yeah. I hear you. Didn't feel valued. Trust so it just me. Threw me off. <laughs> I hear you. So literally one day I just started, and I don't remember what it is that made me look it up. I just started, uh, I saw a TED talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even remember whose it was specifically, but I just started looking stuff up. Like again, yep. I have that kind of nerd brain where I lock onto one thing and it just stays forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, sorry, that was my daughter. It's okay. Uh, so yeah, I had this little nerd moment and I just started watching TED Talks and I was just like watching them. And it was, um, I saw the information on Dr. Joe Dispenza. Okay. And I had always, a, a, and you know, he's talking about thinking your way into health and how he like recovered from, basically being paralyzed mm-hmm. by just trying to like purposely turn on his um, neuromuscular system, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But I don't knock anything as being impossible. Cause right. again, my engineering background, I have a deep love of psychology. I was like a calculus kid. Like I was, I was the gather information kid. Yeah. So that way I could make my own judgment of the world rather than being taken what I was taught. That's right. So I realized that one day as I'm doing this stuff, I would start testing these theories of the law of attraction and all these things by just trying to pay attention to them. So me, yes. one day me and my girl at the time we were, having a little disagreement in the mm-hmm. car on the way to work. Mm-hmm. And I remember something, I think Joe Dispenza might've said, or maybe Earl Nightingale, but it was Joe Dispenza probably, mm-hmm. where he was talking about how willing we are to get to a level of discomfort if it's better for our mental comfort. Yes. Like we don't move to places that will make us uncomfortable from an environmental standpoint because we're not paying attention to the environment in our head right. as much as we are the external environment. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. One day we're having this argument and I remembered, I was like, I can only control what I can control in the situation. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is just get out the car right now. We were only a little way away from my job. Mm-hmm. I could just walk. It was cold. It was like February. I didn't care because I was like, I, I would just rather be in a better mental space than inside this car right yes. now. Two seconds after I got out of the car, there's a free bus that circulates downtown Bethesda where I was working mm-hmm. and it showed up and I looked at the bus and I was like, I've been working in this place for years and I've never seen this free bus at any bus stop. Wow. I got out of the car all of a sudden and instead of walking to work, which I was willing to do for my mental space, yep. I just decided to get on this bus. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh snap. So again, what I could have done was tell myself that that was a coincidence. And that was the moment when the real like coincidence isn't real kind of light bulb went off. Yeah which gets a little crazy for people. When you think about it, I was like, the bus is on its schedule. It had nothing to do with me whatsoever. No. Nope. The only thing that I changed in that timeline was where I was in relation to the bus. Yep. So it was still my decision to get out of the car because it was better for my mental space that allowed me to coincide with the bus. And I was like, oh, snap. I, I just unlocked the universe. I'm a genius. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was kind of like the way I thought about it. I was like, oh, snap. This is crazy. Yeah. Let me keep seeing how many of these instances are coming up in my life. Yes. So I just started doing it 
everywhere. Like, I'm not even kidding. I was practicing this left and right. Mm -hmm. And I would just bring it up to other people to see if they thought the same. Right. One of the guys I was training at that time, the president of the Clark Foundation. Okay. Um, And like a a day before that, me and my friends had gone out and I'm telling them about how I'm figuring this stuff out. Mm -hmm. And I literally was, we were walking down the street and there was a homeless person and I gave her some money. I didn't even count how much it was. It's like whatever cash was in my pocket, I just threw it in there. And what I did was I watched like six or seven other people do it too. And I was like, oh, snap. And I was just talking to my friend while we were walking down the street about like, you know, if I had money to donate, most people don't donate because they don't feel like they have enough to donate. But what if they don't realize it is like there's a trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, Pablo, like, did I not just like low key turn $10, $15 into like $100? Because if the chain reaction was me putting it in there, it was my intention for this to be bigger than it was yeah. that made that gift bigger than it was. Yeah. And he was like, damn, that's actually like facts. Like, I can't really dispute that. Right. Like, me and my friends are all like Seinfeld. I'm definitely going to try to make you seem wrong at all costs. So yeah. I was like, snap, you can't find a hole in that. So this guy was telling me about how his job is really stressful because he writes these huge donation checks to these foundations and he's always stressed about picking the right one. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, Joe, you wouldn't even be in that position if you weren't the right one. Mm-hmm. I was like, just look at it that way. Like, let's get real. Right. Like, I know it's difficult and it's stressful, but I'm like, people trust you the same way you trust me. I right. tell you to jump on this box that's 30 inches and you say, I don't know if I can make it. My thing is, you don't know you can't make it. I'm just going to teach you to believe in the possibility that you do more than you believe in the possibility you don't. Right. And he was like, oh, snap, that's true. He felt more comfortable. And I was like, yo, if you write it off, you write it off. You can't, right. like, not play the game because it's the only way to not lose. I was like, right. that's, you can't win that way either. Right. So, you know, I did this trick with him where I said, Joe, I'm going to trust what I know about you. And I'm going to trust that you can go this way real quick. I wrote down a number of pull-ups because that was his goal to just okay. learn how to do 10 pull-ups. Okay. I wrote down a number, had no idea, put my iPad face down and said, Joe, do as many pull-ups as you can. And he busted out the exact same number I wrote down on the pipe pad, which was like seven. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not magic or nothing, bro. But I was like, I just left it up to you. Yeah. And you either were going to disappoint you and me right. by not committing 100% of your effort to it, or you were going to try as hard as you could without wondering how many you had to do. Right. I didn't show you how many. I could have wrote 20 on there. Exactly. If you thought 20, you were going to give me as much as you could yeah. and not just you know, stop at the first sign of discomfort. And that was just a series of things that cascaded wow. into me where I'm at now. That is so cool. You know, it's so interesting because I feel like we all, well, not we all, but those who have had the, I guess, the privilege or the benefit of having what I like to call like their Neo moment. So like in the Matrix at the end where he <laughs> stops the bullet and he's like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And all the code yeah. appears and he's like, okay, so I know how this shit works. I get it. I get that it. I get exactly it. Now. it it's like when you have that moment where you recognize that these just like uh universal laws you know the law of physics the laws of gravity the law of attraction they all fall into that same category and i think the law of attraction you know because of the way that it kind of became mainstream through the secret and people have all these ideas and they want to pick it apart and dissect it it's really just as simple as all these other universal laws that we just accept as being real gravity are we being held down are we being pulled are we being pushed we don't really know we just know that we stay on this planet and scientific studies say it's because of this so if you look at Mm. i'm very much like you i'm i'm very much a a logistical spiritualist you know if i can explain it (laughs) with some logic and then sprinkle some magic on top of it then that works for me you know what i'm saying like (laughs) i'll go a little little bit of woo woo on top of some logic and i'm i'm with that so i'm like logistically spiritual that's me i am going to use that you know it's because it works for me because it 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 also it makes sense for me and so when i think about you know, putting yourself in the right place, so to speak, at the right time, you don't necessarily know exactly what the outcome is going to be, but you just know in that moment that you get that nudge that says, get out of the car. Yeah, mm-hmm. take this walk, you know, and then mm-hmm. the universe shows up, source shows up, whatever you, you know, want to call it. And the the beautiful part about it is that once you're tapped into that, then you do start to recognize everything literally falling into place exactly as it's meant to. And that's when you kind of get filled with that sensation of like, okay, so everything really is working out in my favor all the time. Okay, I just have to decide whether or not I want to create resistance or whether I want to be in alignment. I really get to decide. Right. All right. the time, you know, right, right. and like you said, creating that chain reaction of like, I'm going to make this deposit of money into this this person who I don't know. I'm going to give with the intention of wanting it to be multiplied. And it does. 
Now, I don't know those other yeah. 10, 15 yeah. people who came and dropped, but I set this intention that this is what I wanted the outcome to be. And I think that, right. you know, I know that folks, especially now, you know, the world that we're in, the, the language of manifestation is becoming part of everyday language and the language of, you know, calling things into your life and speaking things into existence, I think is becoming more mainstream. And I'm glad to know that because I feel like there was an awakening that happened for a lot of people over yeah. the last, you know, five or 10 years where we really just started to become more aware of things that were already in place, but we just kind of mm. like lifted up our eyes a little bit and said, oh, that's how this thing works. That's what's happening around yeah. me. Now I can really tap into it and and kind of wield it a little bit more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, just like when you yes, think of definitely. like your, your body and the the biomechanics of your body are unique to each individual and once you become aware, like, oh, I can lift this? Huh. Now, right, can I also right. lift that? Let me try. Right. Let me try. And without any expectations of what the outcome is going to be, let me just try this. And then you surprise yourself. That's the, that's yourself the harder part, I think. Without, I think the harder part yeah. is not measuring it by your perception of the end yes. and how close you are to it. Yeah. That's really difficult because... Um, I wrote a short blog about it just because, again, I'm fascinated by people and why yeah. we do what we do, like, because I'm always trying to figure out, like, why am I always in situations where when I don't have a choice, things seem to work out? Right. And like, for real, I've, I've, I've been lucky to live a lot of lives, right? So mm -hmm. I've done the athlete thing. I did the modeling thing in the wild. Like my mom, wanted, I was at Debbie Adams Dance Academy for a while. Yeah. Like I met the Jabberwockies prior to America's Best Dance Crew. They taught me some stuff. I mm -hmm. met Chris Brown, Columbus Short. Like I'm in the mix of all this and it didn't work for me then. I didn't really feel it. Right. And I've always figured out like, you know what it is, is when I release my perception of what it's supposed to look like, mm -hmm. I get a more true output. And then I'm even, the benefit is I'm able to measure better. Yeah. Not measure by my guess, I'm able to measure by reality. And then I'm able to tweak it and move on to the next thing. Um, and like you were saying, once you learn that, you're able to like retroactively go back sometimes and look at these things yeah. and pick up the knowledge from from experiences that already happened. But I think, again, our world, partly from evolution, right, to keep us alive, mm -hmm. partly because it's easier to keep people in control when you can have them brute by fear. Mm -hmm. We don't tend to look at risk taking as a beneficial experience. Uh, the older we get, we want to be able to tell the end of the story before we finish reading it. Like, that's just part of it. Yeah. And if we can't tell there's going to be a good story, you know, the way the world says is, well, you don't have time to figure it out if it's going to be a good story. You got to just do this because this is going to be the best way to get done. It's yeah. like, but that's not going to be the best way to learn. That's, right. that's going to be the best way to end up exactly where everybody else ends up. But if I'm not everybody else, I can't possibly do that and hope to come up with some new outcome. Right. So what we had to do is, uh, like, Learn to teach people, or me specifically, mm -hmm. learn to teach people to detach from their understanding of it. Mm -hmm. I have two ladies in particular. One, both of them are moms. I think there's a superpower that happens with moms. Like, I think moms are the strongest people on the planet. Yeah. It's been proven. I don't care. I don't want to, everyone <laughs> can fight me if they want to. Like, I'm 100% behind that path. Um, the reason is two. One, because they're just going through experiences that test their mind, spirit, and body right. like no other human being can possibly equate to. So like, mm -hmm. there's no way you're telling me after that experience, these, these people don't have a greater understanding of literally everything. Right. Like, that's just impossible. I mean, it's like you said, I'm a logical spiritualist. Like, I'm gonna be real with you, right? Like, that's just math. Yeah, Can't be it's just math. math, right? So what I have one who had sciatica when we first met, mm -hmm. um, this lady was busting out like 200 pound deadlifts at one point. She's 40 plus years old. She's going on 50 now. Mm. She's doing 30 inch box jumps. And she's a partner in like one of the, the largest environmental law firms. Like she's on C-SPAN type of ladies, like her okay. versus Texaco type thing. Mm -hmm. So again, high powered, high stress job. Her kids are super athletes and she has sciatica. And the first thing I told her to do is stop thinking about the damn sciatica. Your brain's going to highlight all the neurons you ask it to. You say, my sciatica hurts. You're going to get all the signals that amplify sciatica hurts. I told her to just stop. It's part of your body. Your body can learn to live with it. You're not going to do anything about it. Right. I mean, it hurts. You know, I had her hooked up with a PT, but in a much more grounded, mindful state, of course. you can't think about that as your thing, right? Right. So first time we were doing box jumps, I told her, I'm going to have you try 30 next week. You've been doing really well. Okay. The thing is, like we were saying before, it's scary to go 100%. The brain is trying to remove you from anything that causes a stress response of fight or flight. Right. But you have to learn to fight through it sometimes because the best parts are on the other side. So right. 
I told her next week after she was done, I looked at her again. I've just had like eight, nine years experience, obviously watching people. So I'm not just saying you can just guess to try this. All right. But I knew, right? Like yeah. I knew I could watch until she had more in the tank. So right. I said, you know what? Instead of next week, I'm gonna have you try it today. She's like, but I thought about next week. I was gonna get myself. A-. See, I was like, you're trying you're to trying mentally prepare to- for something, but we need to just do it. Yep. Like the worst that happens is you don't make it. I'm here. You're not going to fall. You're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to die. Let's do it. Right. Made it the first time. And now people are watching her do this. And what I said was like, this is your moment. This is your thing you can use as your moment. I just found that in a physical sense because for her, I'm 40 plus. I was like, look, all the things that could happen if you don't make it, what if you use that for a reason to push yourself to making it Right. instead of a thing that holds you back? Right. The brain will prevent you from giving 100% in the sake of trying to save your life. But it ended up hurting you in the end. So I have another mom who's very similar, mom of four, who never worked out a day in her life. And the best part of training this lady is watching the difference between the unconscious brain, the conscious brain, and her being able to implement it on a regular basis. I'm not kidding. I've seen this lady Mm. do stuff while simultaneously telling me she can't do it. And I'm like, okay, what I know for a fact from a neurological perspective is your conscious thought is still locked in like that limiting belief. But you're able to unconsciously attach all of your effort towards overcoming the obstacle at the same exact time. Yep. I was like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And now she's like crazy strong, like incredibly wow. impressive. But we talk about it all the time because she doesn't show up excited to work out any time ever. Mm-hmm. But she removes herself from the conscious feeling she has about it and goes back to her intrinsic value system when it comes to why she's working out. It is to work around, run around with the kids. Right. It is to stay healthy. All that matters more than that little conscious level of dislike. Yeah. And we all know the conscious thought is only like, what, 5 to 8% of our actual activity anyway? Exactly. Exactly. So if we practice less attachment to that, clearly it works. But we just are very attached to it. That's just what we've been taught over time, unfortunately. Agreed. I totally agree. I mean, it's like if you think about it, you know, when we when we eliminate risk, we eliminate opportunity all the time and the only reason why we eliminate (laughs) risk is because of fear of the unknown or fear of uncertainty or fear of what we think is certain like i can't do this or if i do this then i'm going to fail or if i do this i'm going to die you know what i mean or that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and then but there's no arguing after we take the risk and we experience the benefit of the opportunity, we feel that sense of elation, that sense of pride, that sense of joy. And we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was so scared of doing that thing. And limiting beliefs have so much weight because they're repetitive, because we've been programmed with them, because they've been modeled for us, especially when Mm -hmm. you think of like raising children, like you're a parent, I'm a parent, my son's 19 years old. And when he was five, you know, he knew when he was five years old that he was going to be doing what he's doing right now, which is working in film. And Mm -hmm. when he was three years old, he knew that's what he was going to be doing. And when he was three years old and he wanted to watch movies, every time he watched a DVD, he's like, I want to watch the special features. I want to watch the special features. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Three-year-old wants to watch Toy Story or Shrek and then watch the special features to learn how the film was made. Right. Anytime he got a new DVD for a birthday or a Christmas gift, he's like, does it have special features on it? Because that was the only thing he was interested in that's incredible at three years old and so at three years old me as the mom i would sit there and kind of just be like in awe of him like he's really watching this with the commentary and the this and the that if at three years old i had said to him you don't need to watch that that's not important just watch the movie that's creating limitation for him that now that he's 19 and he's working on his first mm. feature mm. and he did a crowdfunding and raised $5,500 and he wrote a screenplay and he's doing his thing. He's a second year film student and he's loving it because there was no limitation that was implanted. That is very real. You know what I mean? When he was three years yeah. old. So it's like recognizing how impactful limiting beliefs can yeah. be on us yes. as adults. It's like we see them in our children. So when they have those moments of just free thought, free expression, their imagination is limitless. It's like we as the the caretakers, the parents get to be super conscious and and, and intentional about letting them be in that free space where limitation doesn't even exist. But I feel like, like like you were saying before, I feel like that comes from realizing what we were talking about before, going backwards and realizing all and recognizing all of those limitations and where they came from in your environment and your upbringing. And then being able to unravel it for the next generation. You're a hon. That was as real as it gets. Like when people ask me about Brooklyn, 
you know, she's turning six in a week. Okay. And I remember telling people, you know, the one thing I've always taught her, we did a, we did a, a video on the website called the art of trying. Okay. Cause I realized, like you said, what kids have to learn at that age is just to try it, just see how it feels. They have to learn not to be limited by the perceptions of what's for them and what's not. Mm-hmm. And parents need to learn to let that happen because right. you get the best out of them. As adults, we've been programmed for it not to work out. We've been programmed to be risk averse. We've been programmed to just participate in the status quo versus thriving, right? right. It's about surviving. And it was crazy because as I'm trying to teach adults, I realized most of the difficulty is having them unlearn unhealthy thought patterns and mindset. Yeah. But I was like, five-year-olds don't have that. So watch this four-year-old do this. She jumps and tries to grab this bar. And I said, Brooklyn, it's not about grabbing the bar. I want you to jump as high as you can and let the bar touch your hands. You know what I mean? Like change the way you're doing it. Don't try to jump as high as you think you need to for this bar. Just jump as high as you need to and see where you're at. Mm-hmm. Why not? What's going to happen is you're going to learn something. Right. Regardless of what side it's on. Um, but that's incredible because I remember when I went back in time for myself, mm-hmm. realizing that that was my thing, building. Right? Like I never knew I would end up in this world, yeah. but I always knew I would build stuff. Like when I was a kid, my mom used to get frustrated because I just was so anti-written rule. Like, not like I was just a problem child, but yeah. like I was going to find what could this possibly manifest into beyond just what we have it as now. Mm-hmm. So she gives me Legos and the Hot Wheels. I'm just looking on the front of the box and being like, let me see if I can figure out my own way to build this exact same structure. Yes. Because the set of instructions they gave me isn't the only set of instructions. It's just their preferred That's set of right. instructions. Which again, as I got become an adult, I realized that was a very difficult thing to raise. <laughs> because it's like, my mom used to call me the professor and now I get it because she was like, she would give me something or tell me something and I would want to analyze it like deeper all the time. And mm-hmm. she was like, dude, just do it. And I was like, but, but why? But, but why? why doesn't it work but this why? way? <laughs> and if she asked, yeah, but if she asked me if I knew something, I'd be like, yeah. She's like, how do you always know stuff? I'm like, because I'm seeking the information. That's yeah. it. So even at that age, like you were saying, he's looking at the extra features. He's seeking to learn the thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't necessarily give them a limit on what they can learn, they learn it all. Yeah. Um, so when Brooklyn's teacher, when in kindergarten started, she's like, how do you learn all these words? How do you know to read and do math so well? I used to tell my friends, I don't know what a three-year-old is not supposed to know and what they are supposed to know. Exactly. So why don't I just teach her everything that she can learn? That's right. And, you know, she's reading like second grade level. And it was like, I just kept teaching her stuff. And as long as she kept learning it, clearly it worked. Yeah. But... When I asked another parent one time, not to knock them, but mm-hmm. it's just the way the system works, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, they're only supposed to know how to do this. Or, they're only supposed to know how to do this at this age. They're only supposed to know how to do this at this age. So they were like limiting the amount of information and their kid's perception of their self in the world right. because there was a quote unquote status quo of what that limitation should look like. Right. But with her, I'm like, you know what? Let her try everything. Why not? Yeah. She wants to try this? Let's try that. Somebody asked me what she wanted to be when she grew up. I was like... Apparently, she's going to be the first president astronaut race car driver. Because Why not? Because I don't know that's not possible. Presidents, right? if anybody can have access to a space shuttle and a race car, is probably the president. So that's right. It. I was like, we're going to see it. <laughs> I can tell you that much. It's not my business to tell her she can. Right. But you do, you do end up seeing the world through them at that point and how mm-hmm. it develops. Like you said, your son getting into that. By the way, I did have a friend on my show. She is a writer in Hollywood. She wrote for the show Star, and she's writing... Uh, on Issa Rae's new show she's coming out with, and okay. I think on the Set It Off rebate. Um, so wow. if he wants to, to talk to somebody in the industry, oh, I'm sure yeah. she'd love to speak That would to be him. amazing. That would be amazing. I mean, it's, you know... That's my favorite part of this. The, the beauty <laughs> of the... My favorite part about being a parent is is the reflection. You know, when you look at them and you're like, wow, look at... Being able to see another human being progress from an infant to a toddler and a toddler to, you know... um an elementary school kid and then when he became a teenager and now the conversations that we have at 19 I'm listening Mm. to him talk about things and I'm like okay so you were listening and you came with your own story your own experience your own destiny your own journey and the way that he was given the opportunity to have so much freedom and have so much thought because trust and believe I remember you know when he was like four and five years old and we'd sit at a restaurant having a conversation, you know, at a family dinner. And some of my elders were like, how do you just talk to him like he's an adult? And I said, <laughs> well, he's going to spend more time as an adult than he will as a child. That's just how our lives work. You only get to that be a part. child for about 16, 17 ish years. Yeah. Are you technically yeah. a child? And the rest of his existence on this planet is going to be as an adult. 
And so I want him to learn how to navigate conversation, how to ask thought-provoking questions, how to participate in dialogue in an appropriate and respectful way, and also to be able to have the, the gall to say, I disagree with that, or I need mm-hmm. more information, or asking the why question, you know? And, mm. and even though I was raised, I mean, my parents are amazing. They're super, super loving. They come from a different generation. You know what I mean? They come from the generation where children are to be seen and not heard and stay out of grown folks' business and that they come from a different generation. Whereas right, when right. I became a parent, I knew that I was raising a very unique human being. As soon as he could talk, I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah. Gotta put, I got, yeah. now I need to learn. What's that? What's, can you explain that to me, yeah. one-year-old, and tell yeah. me exactly what you're trying yeah. to say? Well, I think, I think the, the, the real interesting part is, you know, as I, as I look back at it, is the, the teaching of thriving versus surviving. Yes. Right? I mean, and there's layers to that, specifically for all of us African-American folks yes. out here. There's right. layers to that, right? Where, like, you know, I, and I remember saying that to my mom about the way she, and she was really smart. Like, she skipped grades when she was in high school, mm-hmm. and, but she was raised by an old black guy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Who, who moved up to New York, and, like, he was looking at survival for the sake of yes. him and these three girls, right? Like, that's yes. his thing. He's not even, I just need to survive and so you, they have a chance to survive. Yep. And that's the lesson that gets taught, passed down. Right. Um, and to your point, like, yeah, I agree. Because it took until I got to be a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm 33. Mm-hmm. And finally, like my mom understanding, like, again, the world is you're preparing your kids for the world that you haven't grown up with. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing. And you need to prepare them with the ability to, like you're saying, learn, and adapt, interpret that world, communicate with it effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about participating in a like mindless fashion. It's about like, how are you going to thrive within the world to come? Right. And it's by learning that you, you can explore all those different sides of your personality and you almost need to for the sake of evolution. You yeah. can't stick to what's already worked because whatever worked is the path. Yeah. And and yeah, I remember talking to my mom about it and it took a while until we got older because she went to school. She went to law school while we were already okay. in high school, like transitioning. So yeah, she okay. went late, which was cool. Yeah. But then that meant I had to grow up with a lawyer in my house. Yeah. So a lot of the conversation, <laughs> I would tell her, you. you know, as again, because I was just a naturally explorative kid. Mm-hmm. I would um, tell her, I was like, you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about may not apply now. Right. right. Like it isn't just go to school. And I was a smart kid, mm-hmm. you know, um, she definitely did her job because I definitely had way better communication skills than most of my friends at that point, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> which I used to laugh. Cause I'm like, yo, we're from New York. And as soon as we hop over the bridge, all the slang comes back. But inside the house, it's like correcting my English. Yes. I'm so confused. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I get it now. I'm, I'm so I'm cool with it. Right. But um, but what it was is I was saying, you know, I wanted to learn how to do four or five things at once, right? Mm-hmm. And my mom, like most parents, are always like, no, 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 go to school, mm-hmm. get good grades, go to this, and you're just going to end up in a good job because you went to school and you got your degree. Right. Just live the way they told you to live. It yeah. always works. Yeah. Like, yeah, nah. No. So we butted heads a little bit, but as we got older, we both go backwards and looked at it, right? Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, it was like, you know what? That's that thing that I had in me. And she was like, well, that's the thing I knew you had this didn't. And then it helps me to teach Brooklyn because yeah. I'm like, all right, I know these are the things I need to teach you to do. And these are the things I need you to teach you to look forward in the world. Right. And that way I'm going to have to let you experience it at the end of the day. Yeah. But um, it is incredible how fast it happens because yeah. from three to six now, like you said, every once in a while, I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have taught you how to argue that logic so well. <laughs> I just want to be right sometimes. Right. Like, cause I'm like, Brooklyn, go to bed, but I have to do this, this, and this. And then if I don't, then this is going to, I'm looking at her like, that's a solid argument. Really not going to lie to you. Yeah, that right, was, and like, it was, it's always about bedtime. Like when Seth, my, yeah. son, when my son was like seven, almost eight years old, you know, he's like, why do I have to go to bed at, you know, X amount of time, X o'clock? And I was like, well, because you need to have this much sleep. And he said, well, I wake up on my own. I'm never late for school. I d-, and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, all of that is true. But aren't you supposed to go to bed at eight o'clock? And he said, right, who right, said, right. He said, you said supposed to is just based on everybody's individual opinion. I'm like, oh my oh, God. Oh, man. They're paying attention. Did They're I say so that? <laughs> did I say that? I did Kudos. say that. Okay. Well, Kudos. you know what? We'll try it your way. You can stay up as late as right. you want as long as you keep getting <laughs> up on time and you keep never being late for school. We ain't got no problems. You oh, know? Man. Time for a break, time for a breather. One thing that we often forget to do as we move throughout our lives, throughout our day, 
is to breathe. So I invite you right now to allow three deep intentional breaths to enter and exit your body. And by the time you're done, we will be ready to continue. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to head there. I want to get there soon, I'm sure. Yeah, you're going to get there. It's a good sign, though. It is. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. It's a great sign. It's a great sign. Well, we're going to switch gears before I... um, let you go. And so oh, yeah. at this point, I like to do like a little bit, uh, a little bit of a, it's a gameish kind of vibe, but I call it complete the sentence. So this is a chance okay. for listeners to get to know just a little bit more about you, the person. And so I'm going to give you some sentences and you complete them however you'd like. So okay, cool. the first one is I am happiest when I am making something. I'm happiest when I'm making something. I love that. That How includes people. Imp- <laughs> like in building people, not the, not no, the other. I mean, making not, people not is fun too, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not making kids, but just making people more than they were before I met them. Let's there we go. I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> How about, um, I know I'm fed up when? I know I'm fed up when... I stop talking mm-hmm. it means I'm stopped trying to get to the end and I'm just accepted as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can relate to that too. I get real quiet <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I got nothing left. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> How about, I know I've made an impact when. I know I've made an impact when I don't have to, hmm. That's a good one. I was just having a conversation with it. I would say when I hear or see things that don't directly involve me, but involve an idea that I, I introduce. Mm. Um, I think, as I kind of discussed with um, a couple people the other day, impact is something that ripples beyond our direct effect mm-hmm. and our direct tangible reach. Um, so, like, you know, if I'm like case in point uh if if i used to talk to somebody about something and you know three years later my friend opens up a store yeah and it's like i remember where we were before that you know i mean i remember the conversations we had like and this is why i promote my friends if anyone ever seen my instagram i promote my friends to the ends of the earth because Mm -hmm. we are each making impact on our lives of others without necessarily always having to be direct hands-on right i think that's huge yeah i i agree it's it's when you look and say wow, I remember sitting in my living room when you were talking about this thing and now this thing is a thing, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. That's beautiful moment, I love it. I love that. How about, I want to be known for my... Ooh, I want to be known for my ability to awaken other people. Um. I have a weird network and one of my younger clients always talks like, how do you know all these people? And, um, and I feel like I told him that I was supposed to meet them for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't need to be known for having a huge amount of stuff for having like a huge name. Um, as much as the ideas that I introduced to people that made them reevaluate themselves mm-hmm. in a good way. Like, I feel like if we all question the perception of the world as it is, mm-hmm. we would all come up with so many different ideas that would ultimately always lead us forward. Right. And, and therefore, you know, we would never get stagnant. We would just keep having new stuff come up. We keep innovating and then the world would be sweet. Cause we'd all be too busy looking to the future rather than worried about the past. Mm-hmm. I love that. <clears throat> I love that. So, we're going to fast forward a little bit and okay. this is at the end stage of your wonderful life. What do you want your legacy to be? Mm. I want my legacy to be as a, I don't know if you call them like thought leader. Okay. I want the idea of calculated risk to become the norm. So I have this vision of the future where kids are taught the stuff we're talking about rather than having to figure it out and find it on their own. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I look at that as just being either curriculum change or just the difference the way parents talk to their kids or the difference the way kids are allowed to experience the world. Um, I say that because of conversations like me and you had, right? Mm-hmm. So many of us have had our, our lives decided for us without actually knowing it. Right. And our parents have done it by accident. It's mm-hmm. not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids need to benefit from exploration. Um, because like I told people, you know, if it wasn't for somebody being allowed to think of the craziest thing, we wouldn't be having a conversation on an iPad across, you know, I remember before this existed and it was just a Rolodex. I'm like, the Same. fact that I grew up and I'm doing this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but we, I realized we need that. We need that so bad. It's not even funny. So I would love for psychology to become a thing that kids are taught in first grade. Mm. Like, why not? Why not start teaching them about the way their brain works so they can interpret it for themselves? Right. I love that. And last one is if you could go back and visit your 16-year-old self, what's one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Um, listen less to everyone else and go with your gut. Do it anyway. When I was 16, I wanted to start working and go to school at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was a student athlete and I was in like AP calculus, I believe in AP chemistry at the time Mm -hmm. and maybe AP psych. And I had a really hard identity crisis because my family from New York, I was New York enough for them. Um, my mom wanted me to, be, me to be the nerd, but I wasn't really the nerdy type, even though I do a lot of stuff. It just didn't fit my personality. Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of stuff that everyone else thought I should do. Right. And I found myself not knowing what I felt was the right move mm-hmm. later on in life. Mm-hmm. And it took me a lot of the wrong moves to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so I would tell my 16-year-old self, like, try it your way, bro. Just stand on it. Just try it your way and stand on it. Like, care less about what everyone else says and care more about how it feels. I love that. I love that. So the last thing I like to do on my podcast is I work with this Oracle deck of cards and it's super, it's super, (laughs) it's super, it's super lighthearted and, um, and they have, there's some pretty cool messages. So it's actually a deck of exactly 52 cards. So I just want you to pick a number between one and 52. It's going to be seven. Going to be seven. seven. Okay. So I'm going to pull seven and then today today's date is it the 15th wait what's today is the 17th the 17th that's what happens when you go on vacation and you don't know what day it's going to come back <laughs> that's a beautiful that's how you know you had a good vacation that's how you know you took an actual vacation so i'm gonna pull t- mm-hmm. seven and 17 so the message of number seven is leaping in love i know it might be backwards this way but leaping in love and there's a little guidebook that makes and then sense. the message is <clears throat> it says romeo and juliet They've got nothing on you. It's romance time. Whether it's a new partner or falling more deeply in love with your own rock star life, become besotted with your dream. Act as if it has already happened. Everything, as they say, is coming up roses, except this time without the thorns. I love it. I love it. It's right (laughs) on par with all the messages I've been getting this year. Awesome. And the second, number 17 for today's date, is baggage be gone. And the message for 17 is, let's see, come on now, aren't you tired of being stooped over from all that emotional baggage? The thing is, it all happened yesterday. This is now. And with one flick of your powerful, energetic finger, you can send all that old has-been baggage overboard into the drink. It's time to fly free. Let it go, my friend. I am loving this. This is dope. How can it possibly be so correct? That's the thing that freaks me out about stuff like that, right? right? Like, it's always a little, like, open-ended or not, if it applies, it applies, and it applies in this situation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I love that. Yes. Oh, so perfect. Awesome. Well, I just want to say, again, thank you so much for being available, for saying yes to this. The conversations that we've had on on Clubhouse have always been so inspiring and impactful. And so when I started thinking about people that I wanted to come and feature on the podcast this season, you were definitely at the top of my list. So I'm just so glad. Thank this you so out. much. Yeah. You have no idea. This is amazing. Awesome. I'm so happy. Awesome. Like awesome. you said, this is all I want to do. Let's just talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about man. good Eat stuff. Food for the soul. Why not? I love it. I, I love really it. appreciate it, by the way. Like I, I just started on my own little journey of putting myself out there like last year. Yes. Um, I'd always 
always been like this with my clients in private. You know what I mean? I've only just started to name drop them every once in a while, but right. this is, this is like you said, this is a sign that the universe is saying that we're in the right direction. So I really appreciate it. You're Thank so you. welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you so much, Brandon. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's time to wrap this up. And I just want to say very sincerely, thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day. And I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now, in this moment, I see the light, I see the love. The wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity, and the pure joy that shines within each of you. And I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.